This morning I want to draw your attention to Ephesians chapter 4. I kind of like to share a little bit of the struggle to come to the conclusion on this message this morning, but I won't take the time. It's interesting sometimes what, what it takes God to get us to hear His voice. But I believe that this is what He wants and wanted for this morning this, in this service. Ephesians chapter 4. Would you bow your head with me this morning as we ask God's help in this part of the service? Our Heavenly Father, you've been good to us today, meeting with us, helping us to worship and to rejoice in song and testimony, lifting our needs in prayer. We thank you that you are hearing and an answering prayer kind of God, that you listen to us. The testimonies of reports of of you answering prayers, specific prayers. We're thankful for all of that. Sometimes you answer prayer before we even have time to pray them. We bow before you today. As we come to this part of the service, as we look into your word, I pray that you would give that special anointing that is so vital and necessary in the preaching of your word. Help us to have a clarity of mind, give me a clarity of speech, help us each one to be recipients in our heart of the soil of our soul being good soil, that the seed of your word would find lodging and bring forth fruit, I pray. It's in Jesus' name I ask these things, amen, amen. I want to draw as my text, I suppose, at least the words for a title out of the first verse of chapter 4, walk worthy of the vocation, walk worthy of the vocation, walk worthy of the calling. We are all called to do something, we are all called to be something, and first of all, we are called to be Christians, walk worthy of the calling. You've heard me say before that, uh, and you thought of it, I'm sure, as well, that we can tell somebody without seeing their face, we can tell who they are when we see them walk. Maybe the sun's glaring, we can't really tell who it is, but we can say as we look at them walking across the parking lot or walking down the mall or wherever, well, that's so-and-so. I can tell because of the way they walk. They have a certain gait. They have a certain swagger or a sway or a strut. It's just them. Not putting on airs, that's just them. That's just the way they walk. It's the way they are. I believe that what we find in this particular passage today is that the call of God is for us to also to be and to give a visible, visible likeness in our walk so that people can tell who we are. Judith mentioned in her testimony that it's not just simply about representing family, it's representing Christ, but I like that idea of who we are, representing who we are. I've told my kids a number of times, and maybe the absence of mom and dad, don't forget who you are, remember who you are. 
I've heard it said to the grandkids as well from mom or dad. Don't forget who you are. It's more than just the name Ziggler that goes with that. It's higher than that. It's, it's that it, they are called to be a Christian. Somebody is always watching. You can tell by their walk. You can tell by their walk. Verse number 17, this I say, brethren, and testify in the Lord that ye henceforth walk, not as other Gentiles walk, in the vanity of their mind. So here we see it again that Paul is bringing it out that there is something specific about the walk. And, and if we could uh, simplify it and make us understand that what he's saying here, he is really just changing a four-letter word for another four-letter word. He's talking about our life being represented in the word walk. How is your life? Either it is a life of sin, or it is the life of a Christian. Walk worthy of the vocation. Walk worthy of the calling. Now Paul introduces something in chapter 4 verse 17, a new aspect of the Christian walk. Perhaps we could even say that right here in this verse is the whole doctrine of holiness. For first of all, we find that there is a need for holiness in the life of an individual that is seen or realized in their walk. The need for it would be the vanity of the mind. The vanity of the mind. What does that mean? What is that trying to say? What is he talking about? Well, we could again try to simplify it down to a four-letter word and say that it is self. Self. The vanity of self. The mind is speaking about understanding. It's speaking about conscience. It's speaking about the affections. The mind is referring to all the aspects of a man's being which would enable him to recognize that there's moral values and and there's spiritual truth. I often wonder when I read some of these uh, old-time preachers and and theologians and, and, uh, and preachers uh, that they would say certain things about how wicked the day was in which they were living and they would make statements that, that, would, that would fit right into our culture and our day-to-day and yet they're talking 100 or 150, 200 years ago and beyond. And yet it would fit right here in our culture. And I'm thinking, how could it possibly be that bad back then? It seems as though we live in a world that moral values and spiritual truth is is non-existent. And yet Paul is using a word here that speaks about a, a, a general sense all around, and he's, and he's referring to the Gentile walk, not as the Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind. He, he's speaking specifically 
the vanity of their mind. The mind refers to all the aspects of man's being which enables him to recognize moral values and spiritual truths. So if we attach that word vanity to the beginning of that, like Paul does, we understand that he's, he's realizing, he's expressing, he's pointing to the, uh, the, uh, the futility of it all or the emptiness of it all, the purpose, purposelessness, the uselessness, The vanity, the emptiness. I believe the Amplified uses uh, the words emptiness of the soul and futility of their mind uh, to to, uh, bring about the understanding of what that word vanity or the vanity of the mind is meaning. The emptiness of the soul. Have you ever experienced the emptiness of the soul? Have you talked to somebody that would would have expressed it in some way that they were empty in their soul? Maybe you didn't think about it that way along your particular uh, line or your life, but, but that is what drew you to Christ, was the emptiness of the soul and the fulfillment that you could find in Christ. Paul's saying, lay aside that emptiness because Christ has something better. He can fill that emptiness, that vanity of the mind, that self. In verse number 18, he's he's expressing here about the understanding being darkened. That's an inward darkness. That's an inward darkness. Another place would tell us uh, how great is that darkness. Especially for somebody that had once had their mind enlightened. And then they turn away from that light. How great is that darkness? The inward darkness may be caused by unbelief, doubt, rejection of light. Rejection of light can cause uh, untold darkness ununderstandable darkness. We don't really know what darkness is until we are in a place that is completely void of light. I think somebody talked about that recently, haven't they? Even out here in the country, we have the stars in the heavens unless the clouds are obscuring them. Occasionally we can see the moon... And it's still reasonably, uh, reasonably light. There's still a little measure of light. But you get down into the depths of the earth and turn off the electric power to those light bulbs, and then you can see how dark it is. You can feel the darkness. You can really, really tell a difference down in the depths, down in a cave somewhere. How great is that darkness when a person turns away from the light? having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. Their eyes, the eyes of your understanding, being enlightened and darkened. Paul talks about it, about the Gentiles over in Romans chapter 21. Or chapter 1, verse 21, he said, he, he, he spoke about their foolish hearts were darkened. Now, we could spend a little bit of time there because Romans chapter 1 has a context that goes along with that. And, and it's, it's, it's frightening to understand that foolish heart darkened. 
how that takes place and, and how it's represented and how it's revealed. But if we come back over here to Ephesians 4 and verse 18, because of the blindness of their heart, the darkness may come from the past. It may be a part of the lifestyles, but it's a blindness of the heart. I think it's always interesting to be able to converse with somebody about the change in their lives, how grace changed the world in which they live. Somebody that is a first-generation Christian because they really do have a different perspective on things. Because they see a comparative that most of us that have been raised in this and born in this, we don't even really understand that comparativeness that is going on in a, in a first-generation Christian because they experience so much of that transgression that is out there and the futility of it all, the emptiness of it all. And then when they come to Christ, and then there's people in that following generation and beyond, they begin to toy around and they can't figure out why mom and dad or grandma and grandpa oppose such things things is because they don't understand that comparative nature of darkness and light before we move a fence post we better find out why it was put there in other words because some of those people really understood the compare the comparison between that darkened mind and the enlightenment of the eyes Darkness. Darkness might even not just, it might not just only come from lifestyles of the past, which would be somewhat of an unwillingness. It was something that they were born in and just simply grew up in and they carried over. But sometimes darkness would come from willful blinding of the heart. Willful blinding of the heart can be rephrased to say rejection, rejection of truth. Rejecting truth. Sometimes we reject truth, or we may be guilty of rejecting truth because it hurts. Because it's pointed at us. And we don't necessarily like being pointed at. We don't necessarily like having somebody tell us to our face that we are rejecting truth. Or that truth is pointing our direction. And so we push back. How great is that darkness? Somebody said that it's not getting brighter, we're just getting used to the dark. We're just getting used to the dark. Verse number 19, who being past feeling have given themselves over unto lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness. Do you realize this morning that even though that you are sitting in Wiseball Community Church and maybe do it on a regular basis and you hear God's Word preached and you read God's Word and you study it in Sunday school and you, you are surrounded by it, do you realize that there can come a time because of the darkening of the mind that we become calloused against the truth? Being past feeling... Beyond feeling, no longer feeling it. If that's a reality, if that's a possibility in our lives, and it is, I think it's good for us to stop and ask ourselves the question from time to time, what do I do with truth? <clears throat> what do I do with truth, even if I don't like it? 
at the time. What do I do with truth? That we would walk worthy of the calling. That we would walk worthy of the calling. Renewal of the mind. Because that's what he's talking about, the vanity of the mind. That we don't walk in the vanity of the mind... but that there's a renewal of the mind. Again, I believe that Paul emphasizes that in another passage. In the book of Romans, renewal of the mind. It's so necessary, it's so vital, it's the fix that can take place for the selfishness or the emptiness, the futility of the heart and the mind. That heart or that mind that is representative of the things that are deep within, the understanding, the conscience, the affections, that would enable us to understand moral values and understand spiritual truth. Walk worthy of the calling. I think I'm going to close right there. The time is slipping on. And if I get into the next point, it's going to carry us much further and your crock pots will go dry and your ovens will burn the food. We might pick up on that this evening. Walk worthy of the calling. Let's stand together. How's your walk this morning? Is somebody recognizing you as a Christian? Do they see your walk as the walk of Christ living in you? May it be so for all of us. Praise God. Is every heart clear this morning? Dr. Matlock, would you dismiss us with prayer?